Welcome back to the Don't Worry About It podcast, where we talk all things mental health related, from anxiety to depression, from happiness to sadness, and all emotions and feelings in between. My name is David Izzo, and I started this podcast to help facilitate conversations related to mental health topics. On this week's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Christina Steinberg. Christina joined the podcast to share her experience and her story of battling and dealing with some mental health struggles and a lot of adversity in her life. Fortunately enough, Christina is able to come out of it on the other side. This conversation details all the work that she's been through, the struggles, the pain, and of course, the healing process that went into it. Christina is one of the most inspiring people that I've ever had the chance to speak with, and I'm so grateful for her for being so open, honest, and courageous to share her story. I hope you guys enjoy. Christina, welcome to the Don't Worry About It podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm really glad you agreed to come on. I'm excited for this conversation. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself to the audience. Yeah, no problem. I'm Christina Steinberg. I'm 21 years old. I'm from Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and I go to college um, design school in New York City. Awesome. And... What has your experience been like dealing with mental health issues? This is something I have dealt with pretty much since I was 14 years old. Um, I've been to two mental hospitals since then and um, have been on meds and all that good stuff. And now I'm, I feel really healed and happy and connected so yeah right. asking questions. <laughs> all right <laughs> so i want to definitely first of all i'm glad to hear that you're in a good place now and using the word healed and it's really awesome to hear i know how much of a struggle this stuff can be i'm curious what was your first experience like with anything did you have some anxiety was there depression so my first experience was um when i was 14 I had my like first serious boyfriend and it ended up just being like a really toxic situation. Um, And it was my only reference of what romantic relationships were. And so when I got out of it, it was like really hard for me because it was like a controlling situation. And I felt scared when I got out of it because I was so young and I felt like, I would never have another romantic relationship and it's all perspective. I really had nothing to gauge off of it. So I like was really depressed, wasn't eating much and um, was really suicidal. And so then I, that's when I started seeing a counselor twice a week. Um, And then a few years later, I dealt with it more going to a mental hospital in Colorado where I'm from I was 16 years old and um, I kind of like experimented with drugs here and there took a bunch of Xanax at school and blacked out and um, they thought it was like a I didn't feel like at that time it was anything it my intentions weren't to um commit suicide but that's how it was perceived by clinicians 
and I was blacked out. So who knows what I was saying at the hospital. And um, then they put me on a 5150 hold and I was, which is a 72 hour hold. They take you to a psychiatric hospital, um, take your rights away to deny um, going and being hospitalized. And I was taken in the back of a cop car, feeling like a criminal um, to a hospital four hours away from my home. I was really scared and like had no idea uh, the outcome. I didn't know anything about the system either. And I was in the temporary hold where they put, or the temporary ward where they put everyone who's on a hold. So it's like all age groups. So you, I had like 14 year olds in there to like in their sick people in their sixties. Um, and I really experienced people who were in really tough situations. People who were homeless, people who were physically and sexually abused um, in a totally different economic situation than me. And I grew up in a really sheltered, beautiful, small town in a bubble, having no idea what was outside, really. Um, and so it brought a lot of perspective. I was really terrified. Um, something to know is if you cry, they automatically think you're crazy, like clinically crazy. Um, and they were trying to diagnose me with bipolar disorder and because I was crying. And people were telling me, don't cry, because that is exactly what they'll do to you. Um, the outcome of it was I didn't actually get a diagnosis because that isn't my diagnosis. Um, but it was really scary for me. Um, I was able to leave after 72 hours. And that was my first experience. Wow. Um, I Then was when I got on meds, uh, came home, and my parents are so supportive and on top of it. Um, so I went on more like rigorous uh, schedule with my counselor and learned some skills. Yeah, so so you're such a so you're at such a young age at 16. Your first experience you mentioned is at 14, coming out of a relationship. Then a couple of years later, at 16, you have this incident. You're taking this whole thing, and you said you come out of came out of it with a lot of new perspective and knowledge. What were what was one thing that really stuck out to you the most? I think, like as far as the way my perspective shifted, um, I realized how screwed up the system was. And this isn't something I learned in school. And at that time, I was actually in a psychology class. And we were learning shortly after I, I got out of this, learning about um, psychiatric hospitals. And we watched a video in class. And it was like showing a really nice hospital. And of course, those exist. Um, they're expensive. And in my situation, I didn't have an option where I went. I was on a hold. So I went to a place that was really scary. Um, I really genuinely felt like it was prison. And like I said, I was there with homeless people. I was there with people who were schizophrenic, um, who had disassociative identity disorder, formerly known as um, multiple personalities disorder. And it's really eye-opening to see 
people who have serious mental illness and for me it was like my little problems and that's where perspective comes in I really had no idea how good I had it and that was the perspective that like really grounded me like I really don't have a lot to complain about I'm in a really good situation my parents are really supportive and loving and um, I have everything given to me and so yeah it was that perspective shift being grounded it was pretty cool it was traumatic um but cool right I can see that shift in myself right I can definitely see how that can be a very traumatic experience being pulled away in a cop car taking these things seeing people that have um more severe issues and different issues than you do and getting to see that firsthand as opposed to uh sitting in a psychology class and hearing what they what what they're saying it is then experiencing it firsthand and then when you came back to school was that hard for you to do after after the incident was was there any trouble there not really quite frankly I was super grateful and I have a really supportive uh group of friends that I've grown up with I'm still really tight with all of them and they seriously just have my best interests in mind always and I always have and they were seriously worried about me and genuinely genuinely supportive wanting to help me feel better and all this stuff but I had so much gratitude just not being there because what will happen is if they diagnose you with something or if they evaluate you and like the clinicians decide you can they will legally extend your hold and then this is more common with juniors or people um under 18 and they will extend your hold to a minimum of a minimum of 14 days past the 72 hours so that was a real possibility for me and and they were talking about doing that and my mom was like absolutely not and she drove there and I she really fought for me in that situation because um so my gratitude did not have to stay there because I would have had to repeat junior year and it was from a mistake. Like genuinely, I wasn't trying to uh, do this. I was. I had rec- reckless behavior um, by taking drugs I wasn't prescribed, and naively, it put me in a situation where my rights were removed. So gratitude was just overwhelming when I got home. Well, and it seems like there are a couple of times where you were this close to potentially getting your entire life altered, right? If you, like you said earlier, which to me is very puzzling to hear that if you cried, then they would diagnose you. They, they would be more inclined to diagnose you with something or yeah. try to fit you into a box. And to me, and I think to many others, it might sound very normal and very sane. The same thing to do would be to cry and to be upset in those situations. I could definitely see that being a crying would be a normal response. And then seems pretty normal to me. <laughs> right. Um, and then, getting back and then having your mother fight for you and they just die if they decide to diagnose you then they start putting you on they might have put you on different medications or stronger yeah. medications that could have altered your brain totally. chemistry especially if you didn't need it those two things yeah. are very i could see the butterfly effect shaping up and um, i know I, i'm not trying i don't want to point fingers at these systems and say they're corrupt oh i would you would i, I don't know enough about as them. as as a person who has been into institutions and state institutions um 
that one in Colorado and then another one in California in 2019 and we and we will touch on that but um, it is really corrupt and people do get stuck in the system and it's really unfortunate I talk about this with my mom like if she wouldn't have fought for me I could have been stuck in there if I didn't have like sometimes parents don't even want to pick up their kids it's a really abusive abusive household where there's drug usage and all this stuff like parents are just like oh my god now I don't have to take care of my kid like not to say they're like this is awesome but it's like the situation they're in it seems more convenient to leave their kid at this institution where they're getting fed really low quality food it's pretty much prison food but um and then the medications they put you on it's like not up to you you take your medication I was put on a bill if I when I first got there which um, is classified as an antipsychotic medication and in small doses it's used for as an antidepressant. But I just remember feeling like time was moving at a snail's pace. It was so weird. My whole perception of time was so slowed down and I felt so groggy and I was staring at the clock and I was like, I do not feel the way I'm supposed to feel. I felt so numbed. And it made me pretty irritable because I was upset that I felt this way and I couldn't really do anything about it. When I got home, I got off that medication and I had growing up um, where I did, like I was so lucky to go to a mindfulness counselor. And so they're not quite as liberal with psychiatric medication. They don't just like put you on a super high dose or my, my psychiatric clinician didn't when I got home switched it up and I was really lucky to get on a proper medication and a good dosage I apologize I didn't mean to to say that when I what I meant to say earlier and and I, I will stick with it is that I don't believe every one of these institutions is corrupt I'm sure and I right, I'm sure that there are some that that don't do things the best way I don't I don't know how much of it is out of mouth personally I've never experienced it I have heard uh, of friends and, and stories of other people that that have these horrible horrific stories and 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 the issue with deciphering what's true about it and what's not is very is very hard to really know um some people that go in aren't in the best frames of mind and and, and you don't know whether they're credible sources and that's a part another dynamic that goes on with people who deal with these yeah. mental mental illnesses or, or mental struggles is that they, they sometimes feel discredited when people don't listen to them. And, and then there's an onus on the individual who's hearing it to figure out what's real or not. And that there are, there are institutions and you do hear a ton of tons of story. You, a lot of times you hear the stories of the ones where people have terrible experiences. It's ve- and sometimes you don't hear as often the ones who have the positive experiences and, and the success. I don't know if success is even the right word, but the happier or more uplifting stories. It's, it's very hard to decipher what, what goes on, but it's, there's no doubt in, and after hearing you speak about it and, and, and hearing others that there are these facilities out there that are not that are not doing the best that they that they can. And also, I just think that this is um, state institutions across our country are known to be cor- corrupt. And I don't it's like the one I went to in Los Angeles um, because I was again, I was put on a hold. So when, in that case. Yeah. You don't have an option. So maybe after your hold, your family can choose if they want you to continue to be hospitalized somewhere else of their choice. But it really comes down to like, if you have the money to pay 
10 grand up front up for the deposit and then however much after that like you will get good care and your family can choose and make sure you go somewhere that right is you know will bring you success out of this um but that isn't the reality the majority of the time and even for someone like me where my parents would have been willing to pay that amount of money I didn't have that option because I was put on a hold and that is just like my mom doesn't have rights even as a junior even though I was under 18 my mom didn't have the rights to keep me from going and I didn't either so there are a lot of traumatic experiences and when you can't afford it it's just I mean your only option and sometimes people are so sick that it's better than being on their own where they could be hurting themselves or others and what they need is to be stabilized with medication. And that is really real. So, I mean, as shitty as those places are, um, if you have a serious illness where you have no cognition, pretty much where you're just full on psychosis and in delusion and threatening people and threatening your own life, it is where you need to go. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. It's all complicated. No, it, it, and it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a very good point to decipher. I've also heard, you know, I've also heard stories and, and I know people that have gone to higher end facilities that have paid to, to absorb a, a, like a really absurd amount of money. I mean, my idea of absurd, it's just a crazy amount of money, tens of thousands of dollars per facility and still don't feel it and, and still aren't having the right care. And that's not to say that they're not doing their best or not doing their jobs. It's, it's really emphasizes yeah. that these, that, 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 that these mental illnesses and these mental struggles are really, really hard. It's not as simple. It's, really it's not hard. equal to, to physical, to diagnosing physical pain with, with hard injury with hard physical injuries. And, and there maybe are some similar yeah. crossovers and, and certain things, but it's, it's just a very different monster. Yeah. It's well, cause it's not as, it's not tangible. Right. So it's hard to conceptualize like what's going on in someone's mind. And then on top of that, when the person who's actually experiencing it may be in delusion, um, may have lost themselves to the point where they can't even remember what feels like a healthy state of mind. It's just so hard for, for people to get it right. And when you do, when you get your medication right, and and then we'll go into healing because that is mostly like what I think is so important because I am so lucky to have figured it out. Like I am in such a great place in my life, better than I've ever done. And also just better than I think a lot of majority of the population get to experience. Um, and I think it is, I could attribute it to my struggles, but um healing process is is it's hard to get to this point i'm lucky to have found it and i'll i mean i would like yeah. to share my strategies but we'll go into um giving more context of the backstory yeah. there's there's right. levels I was say do you want to do you want to continue or do you want to start talking about healing so yeah i'll continue um and then i'll i'll, I'll make it brief but um so then mental health i i've kind of i would you know swing between being fine and then less fine but I do have to say um drinking and uh experimenting with drugs was definitely a big part of my youth figuring it out and uh 
it was definitely a form of self-medication. Um, and when I went, I went to LA. So my first year of college, I was in Los Angeles and, uh, I really, I was in a dark place, but I didn't really realize how dark it was. Um, I moved in with this boyfriend. We got an apartment together and signed a lease together only after knowing each other for a few months even. So don't recommend, um, doing that maybe like put some more thought into that but besides that um it just ended up being really toxic there was an age gap um that for me uh, it, it didn't really work out um the age gap definitely played a part and it it started with like emotional abuse um and then you know it was toxic and controlling um, and not to say that I wasn't a player in all this, you know, it's always a two-way street. And um, in the end, it ended up getting physically abusive. And we did uh, drugs together and drank a lot, you know, and partied a lot. It was not a healthy lifestyle for me. And um, I was in a situation where I was living with this person where we would party on the weekends and come home at like three in the morning and get in really bad fights and they would just get nastier and nastier as time went on and um when they started getting physically abusive I I didn't tell anyone um and I didn't I I genuinely believed that at a certain point it would be easier to die than to like try to figure out how to get out of my lease because like talking about breaking up and and breaking the lease and stuff was something a discussion that was had many times but I always I wasn't strong enough within myself to like put my foot down and say no this is what I want this is this is what's happening because I want this and I'm not happy but I would just cave and then it would never end up happening so at a certain point I decided that it was just going to be easier to um, try to end it. And that was totally a cop-out. But to me, in that moment, it was real. And in my mind, it felt easier. It just felt like the path of least resistance. Um, And so then my boyfriend, like, found me in the bathroom and um, called 911. And I begged him to, like, don't take don't call 911 they'll take me to a hospital I know they will and they did um the people were actually so nice so I do have to say like the system is bad um and this time I didn't fall victim because I had experienced it before so I went to the hospital it almost felt like a vacation that sounds really bizarre because it was not a nice hospital to any extent and um I'm there with like seriously mentally ill people again schizophrenia multiple personality disorder you know people who like sometimes people have mental illness is really bad and you you don't see it so apparently and then they'll do some things that are really malicious and it it is attributed to their mental illness but it is kind of scary like it could be scary to try to fall asleep at night um but I was there it kind of felt like a vacation because I didn't have to be in my dysfunctional living environment and um I didn't cry (laughs) I um, got on pretty well. Like I made friends. Um, I went to all my groups. 
if you go to group, you have a better chance on getting out faster. So I took my meds. I, I went to all the groups and participated. And honestly, I was like, I'm here. I might as well make the most of it. And then I gathered even more perspective. Um, despite being in a dysfunctional, abusive situation at home, I still felt like I had it better because I, I genuinely did. I wasn't homeless. There's a lot of people that were there that were from Skid Row. And I would hear stories of people like, yeah, I've been here like six times. And like, they just get dropped off at Skid Row when their time's up because they don't really have a lot of space for people. Because, I mean, this is where people go when they don't have health insurance. And who are the people for the majority that don't have health insurance is homeless people in Los Angeles and lots of other cities. Um, so there's not a lot of room and I'm there with these people and gathering so much perspective and feeling pretty grateful despite my situation. And anyways, I um, was really fortunate. I, I went to Europe. I went to Paris for like a month only only a few weeks after I got out of this institution. I wasn't sure I was ready, but it was definitely the best thing that happened. Uh, if you don't mind, um, before, we, before we get to Paris, I just have a couple follow-up questions and, and make, oh, make to clarify. Sure. So you move to LA and you enter this um, abusive relationship with this guy and, and it seems clearly to be very toxic. And you mentioned that you had gotten to a point where you didn't know how to get out. You were, you felt, it sounds to me like you said you like felt like stuck in this relationship and you were, you didn't tell, you weren't, you weren't telling anyone. And I know that this is a common, a common, um, common answer that people, that people give. They, they feel like they can't get out. They feel stuck. And if you wouldn't mind explaining that further, what, what, what you meant by it. Yeah. So I like would say every day in my head, I would talk, I'm, I'm pretty spiritual, but I was pretty disconnected at this point, but I would to the universe you are going to give me a way out some way out because I couldn't figure it out and um you feel really stuck because you never like acceptance will bring you freedom but I couldn't accept what was happening happening because you never think you will be the person in the abusive relationship you never think that you'll be the person in these situations that are that you hear about but they sound too horrific to actually experience yourself. And that was, that was my experience. I, I genuinely never thought that I would be in a relationship this dysfunctional and physically abusive. It was like something I just really didn't want to accept. So not telling my parents, not telling my friends. And like everyone knew how unhappy I was because I definitely was like, I want to break up with him. I can't figure out how, um, but you feel so stuck because also there's a, I don't know, like Stockholm syndrome, which is when I don't, I don't identify as a victim, but when like the, the quote unquote victim of the situation is like, can't leave or like is in love with the, their abuser and that this case I wasn't in love with him but um it still was this thing where it was like you feel very up and down about it so you get scared to leave 
you're in just like complete you just go in circles with how you feel about it you're like I'm so miserable I hate this I hate this but then the thought of leaving is like really scary for some reason um is there a sense of shame oh definitely I mean there's and like you feel guilty because like my situation I the the mental abusive aspects and like the controllingness really confuses you and then you feel guilty um and at this point I had been less than faithful because I was just like not in it at all and I didn't love this person and I um I didn't have respect for them because of the way they treated me and like he didn't have any respect for me um so I I had guilt for like my behavior and like my my part in the situation shame for sure it's like pretty embarrassing to share things like that it was for me now I'm I'm not embarrassed but (laughs) clearly I'm talking about it here but guilt and shame guilt and shame are two things that that I think are are so so personal to, to so many people when even when people talk about you know, their guilt and, and, and what they're shameful for and they bring it to light, it still never feels as real when you explain it to someone as it does to you. Um, and obviously yours, in mm-hmm. your situation, it's extreme. And, you know, the, one of the reasons why I, I wanted, to, I wanted to, to, to clarify is I think that there are a lot of people out there that, that hear these stories and, and, they, and they ask themselves, how could this ever happen? And I think when you said, you never think it's going to happen to me, how could, it, how could this have happened to me? And then you also mentioned the acceptance part. And I think that those two together um, form such a dangerous, a dangerous duo where because you don't believe it can happen to you. And then once it does happen to you, you just accept that it has to be your fate and that, and 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 you get Mm -hmm. to such a a point where you just would rather be, would rather be out of life than than to be in it and and to, and to, and feeling there's no escape and the hopelessness. And I'm I'm so sorry um, to hear that it's happened you but oh I, I know you don't sorry. I know you don't want to identify as a victim <laughs> and it's not me saying I'm so sorry that it in the sense of that I, it breaks it, it breaks my heart to hear that these things happen and I admire your yeah. strength and your courage and and your bravery to, to, you. to talk so openly about these these are not easy things to talk about in in a general sense and let alone to share your personal story means um means a lot yeah. I know it means a lot to me and I'm sure it will it will it will help others and change how others view um that's the goal. Oh man, I'm I'm sorry. I'm I'm emotionally getting it's getting getting to me. Yeah. Um, no, it is definitely really heartbreaking, and it's heartbreaking for me to know that like, it, it, this is it happens, and what my experience is like a walk in the park compared to lots of people's, and not to discount what I experienced, and not to discount people have experienced less tragedy in their lives as well because like uh every everything's on a spectrum that someone is always going to have it worse than you and someone's always going to have it better than you and perspective really plays a part because I think that I never thought I would find myself in this situation and then like I think back to when I was 16 and at that first mental hospital and I was crying I was so terrified there's so much fear inside me and I was really anxious and I thought my world was, I thought my world sucked. 
and it did not but you know that's the perspective my worst experience in my life is equal to the next person's whether it's it is like objectively worse or objectively better because it's their experience and it's all they know and if it's if it's the hardest thing they've ever experienced that's real that's super valid and that's not to say they don't experience like the same amount of pain as me so and then I do think that my my lows being having been so low makes my highs and all the small things so awesome like I can appreciate like the little details on a flower petal far beyond I ever would have before and like a sunset is like could bring tears to my eyes so it's like extreme pain and then you get the opposite end of the spectrum extreme gratitude for when things feel good so oh man that's amazing um i, I apologize I, I i paused you early to, to go back here you got it you're so you, you get out of the you get out of of an la you're in the you're you're locked up you're put in this place then you get out mm-hmm. and your next step is what you moved you moved your you got out so, of the relationship you moved out your stuff well well no that wasn't quite the exact timeline the significance significance of me going to paris um was I met this like guy that I really liked and this was like I there was there was some guilt within me for sure because like I was unfaithful to my boyfriend um back in America but it felt so good and it reminded me that I can feel so good um like a romantic situation doesn't have to feel so horrible and miserable every day and so it was like an awesome experience for me and and the universe definitely uh gave me a gift and um when I got home within 48 hours um the worst of it is when that the the worst of the abuse happens within 48 hours of me getting home from Paris and um my boyfriend in LA was suspicious of me being unfaithful in Paris um I was so removed from him from him too uh when I was abroad because I was like this is awesome like I'm a world away nothing can hurt me and so it felt so good the escapism was felt euphoric pretty much um and then when I was back he was suspicious and and we I was really on zero sleep I was running on fumes um because of my jet lag and then we as soon as I got home we went back to like the way we always uh, do our weekends drinking and doing drugs and stuff and so I'm just like feeling strung out you know Um, and then this is when it all kind of started he we had a conversation and you don't want to have arguments with someone when you're tired and when you're fucked up um, but that's what happened and he he got it out of me because I like got so emotional um, when he was ask, asking me these questions he was drilling me with all these questions and I at a certain point just like broke um, and yeah and then the there was some like really horrific events that followed with um, for the next couple days where we just like destroyed the, the apartment was just destroyed just like 
He put several holes in the wall, broke the shirt, the curtain rod, like I bruised all over my body and my face. And like, it was terrifying because like he got blackout drunk and just continued to drink throughout this. And he turned into something I didn't even know like he could. So um, it was really sad to see him. I mean, he was really heartbroken because. I know he loved me a lot in, in his capacity. It wasn't genuine love, but to him, like, that, he felt like he loved me a lot. And um, you don't treat someone you love in that way. And what I did to him is, is hurtful as well. Um, but and I can justify it. I mean, it, it's not good to, to break someone's heart like that. But um, the whole thing was heartbreaking to begin with. Like, I was so heartbroken to be in the situation in the first place. So um, pretty much, like, uh, when things started to calm down, I was so lucky to already have a flight booked home. This flight had been booked for a couple months because it was right before my 19th or 20th birthday. Yeah, my 20th birthday. And so I had a flight booked home to go home for four days before my birthday because he wanted to spend my birthday with him and I never saw my friends at this point anymore because he told me my friends were bad friends my parents raised me wrong but he can fix it all and I can be friends with his friends and he can take care of me and like reparent me it was bizarre but you know I'm not going to get into too many details of that I was lucky I already had a flight home I went home and then I just never had any intentions to fly back to LA so I left all of my everything in that apartment was my furniture um all my clothes you know I literally just had a, a bag packed a suitcase so I had it and then I didn't go back to LA ever I didn't say goodbye to anyone and I broke up with him when I was there I was like I don't think you understand how this there there's no way we could ever go back to anything normal so I was so lucky I got out of it but then I was just wanting to party constantly my anxiety was so high and the trauma was really affecting me but I didn't realize that's what it was and I just wanted to drink and party and I I I didn't even I wasn't tired I wasn't hungry like I could just go for days and days and days and just like wanted because I just wanted to have fun and it was like I went overboard. My friends were really worried about me and I was having panic attacks and stuff. And then I woke up one morning, terrible hangover, so anxious. And I had a, um, a panic attack and I called my dad and I was in hysterics. Um, and then I was just like, he's such a good listener. He, he's a man of few words for the most part. And he uses his words really wisely. So whenever he's and when, when, when I'm in this situation he can give me some good advice which is concise and then for the most part he just lets me um, work through my problems by talking through it because sometimes that's just what you need from someone just to listen and then you work out your own problem by speaking out loud and um, I had this like crazy revelation that I can choose to be happy and that is something that y- people say all the time and it's like happiness is a choice you know but like I never felt it and in that moment I finally felt it and it was like it hit me like a lightning bolt I was blown away by this feeling 
And so I was like, I need to get sober and I need to work through this because I, I could see it. I like, I could actually visualize the two ways this could go. And the way I was handling my trauma was not healthy, dysfunctional. I quite frankly hated myself. That's the uh, guilt and shame. I hated myself. And, you know, this had been building up for years. If I had truly loved myself, I would have never dated this guy. So coming out of it, I was like in in rough shape with my uh, self-worth and everything. Um, And then I was like, okay, well, I want to get help because I could become potentially a drug addict who's self-medicating. And like, this could be a struggle that like takes my twenties from me and, and, and limits my success in life. And like, I'm such a driven person. I'm like, I'm going to be successful. Like I'm going to do good for myself and good for others. And, and I'm so motivated for that now. And I did not want to go down the wrong path. I was so that my fear of that path was beyond the fear of the pain and the struggle it was going to be to work through this trauma so my parents um and my my counselor and my psychiatrist and everyone we made a game plan and personalized an outpatient situation for me um I stayed home I was sober and I went to uh 12-step meetings every day um I was super dedicated to it I loved it um I gained so much perspective from the people in these meetings it was like really great for me because I it was part of my routine and I think routine is one of the best things that can help someone who's struggling with mental health and every day it's not like you you heal and then it's like oh it's a breeze because every single day I wake up um at the same time and I decide for myself I'm going to be happy. I'm going to choose happiness. I'm going to choose productivity. I'm going to choose to eat healthy. I'm going to choose to be active. And I'm going to choose a positive mindset because every single day is going to be work. And it is for everyone, quite frankly. It's like, I don't care who you are. You've got to put in the work for yourself. And I learned so much of that because I really did the work and I did it thoroughly and I did it right and I'm so grateful that I chose that path and I was I was so so lucky to have this community I grew up in everyone's so supportive I really didn't feel judged I mean judgment happens but for the most part like I really didn't I felt and I'm so lucky in my situation but so I do want to go a little bit back just to clarify again, a few things. Um, yeah. So you get back, you get on think Thankfully you had that flight already booked. You go back to Colorado, you start party, party, partying, your anxiety levels are rising. Your manifest, it seems like trauma, the trauma that you've just gone through and now immense trauma is starting to manifest in your life, causing rep, like just going nuts in your, in your personal life, partying, getting involved in all these things. And it gets to a, gets to a breaking point where you just had enough and you get to uh, luckily had a panic attack and got to a place where you could, where you called your father and he gave you some strong advice and was able to connect you, was able to somehow connect to you and something just clicked in your head. Yeah. And so you go from there, that clicking and you just, 
have a whole mindset shift just from that conversation and you start attacking your life and, and, and going and getting the help that you that you want and you need. While this is going on, do your friends and family know of what just happened to you? Oh, for sure. I, I remember when I was still in LA, I just sent a snap to like all my best girlfriends in our um, group chat and on yeah on snapchat and i didn't say anything and i just had black eyes and i was like my eyes are also all puffy i'm like crying it was pretty apparent there was something going on and i just didn't even want to say i was like my friends were like wanting to call me and stuff and i'm like it's really not a good time because like i couldn't i had to put on a brave face just to get out of the situation and 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 leave without any backlash or leave without any resistance from him so um when i got home though I spilled every single tiny detail of what had happened really like to my friends and they just were like be like sat in a circle all crying in awe of the reality um, of my situation like so much love seriously like these friends of mine are (laughs) angels angels on earth like just listening and so so genuine so much genuine empathy and care and um concern for me so yeah and I told my parents this was hard to tell my dad because it was you know it's hard to talk about like physical abuse and sexual abuse to your father (laughs) I mean like I tell everything to my mom but that's like tough but I'm like no everyone needs to know like everyone who's like like I'm really close with like deserves to know um and I like kind of need them to know because the extent of what happened is very relevant to like the way I was acting so um yeah Yeah. I told everyone told my therapist I've told the story a lot of times like I was going to, you answered my, my final question was going to be, did you immediately start to see cat? Like, did you go back to counseling and therapy? Yeah. Well, that first month, um, in July, I got, so I, I, I got home in July because my birthday's in July. Um, and then I didn't get sober until the end of August. And once I, 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 I wasn't going to therapy that, that first month when I got home. So I was, I was probably just, I was partying. It was like a solid month, just like a lot of partying and um, not, not going to therapy and not having structure. I got home. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any responsibilities. So uh, then I, and then I sought out therapy again. And I was going to therapy five wow. days a week. Um, and I was also going going to meetings right. every day. Right. I was going to say, when you so, said, you know, you were doing the work, that is definitely putting in the effort in doing the work. Oh, for sure. Because I was like, if I, I knew in my heart, if I didn't work through this thoroughly, this would follow me everywhere until I did. There's a lot of shadow work to to work through. And what is shadow? What what is shadow work? Uncomfortable. Well, I mean, it's a term used commonly in the spiritual community, but um, in in terms of clinical therapy, 
I'm using that that term to describe it, but that's not the term that would be used in clinical therapy. I did um, EMDR, which is a long long time used trauma therapy. Uh, it's like a, a specific strategy. You you either hold like two buzzing um, remotes in your hand or or they do it where your eyes follow uh, a pencil or something to focus on. And um, it, it kind of, it, it doesn't put you in like full trance and I'm not going to describe it well because I am not a doctor and um, I just know it worked for me. So it, the, the purpose of that is to like, uh, yeah, no, I'm uh, not sure. Don't I don't want to don't, um, right. don't botch you know, I, it, I, I, but People can right. look up EMDR. If you, for the people who are listening to this and, and do have severe trauma and like this is used for P- people with PTSD um, and, you know, people who have dealt with domestic abuse, seriously, just trauma of all sorts. Um, EMDR was really helpful for me. And uh, also I did hypnotherapy. I truly believe that was really good as well. Um it's right. not bullshit. And I think I think what you're saying is so um, important is that everyone experiences things so so differently and how we manifest the trauma and what what happens to us can be dealt with in so many different ways. You're doing therapy five days a week and then you're doing EMD, EMDR. Now you're saying you're doing hypnotherapy. You're trying all these different things and until you find and finding what works for you is everything. Totally. And I like really just had the best uh, therapist. I like my team was awesome and like I'm just blown away because it wasn't like I wasn't in a set program like I chose my doctors so it was a few that I had already seen and then we added in two more um, counselors that I hadn't seen before and my mom and I and, and my current counselor we all like worked together and made a team for me and they would literally have meetings just about me and like work together to create a cohesive program customized to my situation it was like like those people with hearts that big like it's so incredible that like exists like people are that kind and people like do want to help and it's pretty cool I, I had a really good situation to work through this they made I, lo- my I life love easier. the way that you attribute so much to others and, and while you don't discount yourself I, I think I'm going to, I'm, if you, if you're not going to do it, but I'm going to do it for you. I'm, you know, a lot of credit here goes to you for, for understanding your situation, recognizing it and deciding I'm making a change. And that is, you know, that going to therapy five days a week is hard. And if anyone who hasn't done, I oh mean, my I, God. I, I've, I, I've been I've gone to therapy consistently once a week and I've done double sessions at once and stuff like that, but I've never done five uh-huh. days a week. And, and, and for anyone who's ever done therapy, you know, when, especially when you're working through issues, it's hard. It is draining. It is oh it's so draining I'm like at the end of the day I'm like oh my god I'm going to bed like right. you just can't you just don't even want to talk <laughs> exactly. no, it's very, very true I remember every time I walked I personally walk out of therapy and I'm just like the last thing I can do right now is think coherently it's the, the only time I'll ever put like I'll ever put yeah. music in and that's just calming music just to let my mind like recover from what just happened and then and I get it so Similarly, I get it after yeah. after recording these conversations. I can't function for a while. 
it takes a lot of, it takes yeah. a lot out of yeah. it just takes a lot out of it and and, and going back to it's, it's heavy, heavy stuff, stuff. you're going to the work you're you're going to therapy you're going to these meetings you're willing you're open and willing to try different things emdmr therapy hypnotherapy you're doing all this work yeah. and you mentioned you know how willing you do the work and i want to give you a lot of credit and acknowledgement here and just say that that's unbelievable and that's you meeting up and listen of course it's awesome that you had doctors and and were able to customize your treatment and they were all working in unison but you're the conductor yeah absolutely and that's what I would say to people who do find themselves like currently in a really dark place um dealing with this with mental illness is like you got to take initiative it is absolutely number one because people you know, people won't help you if you won't help yourself. I'm always game to help people. But if I if I see they're not taking any initiative, I'm like, okay, well, this isn't sustainable long term if you don't really want this help. And also, you're kind of disrespecting my time because it's a lot harder to help someone that won't help themselves. And it's almost impossible. Like, they they won't fully get the help that they need because you need to learn these skills and figure it out so that you can apply it to your real life and then carry it through once you're not doing this therapy I can't go to therapy five days a week for the rest of my life you know it has to be a sustainable situation where I can I can get to the point where I'm I've worked through this stuff and I'm never done working through this stuff I mean I still see a therapist and um you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm like, it's like once a week, but, and I've gone right. that the goal, point, so. right. When you're creating these situations, the goal isn't just to live the way you're living normally. Like, and, and it is a, for, for a lot of people, it is the first step, especially when you're in that dark, such a dark place where, you know, you can't even think to help yourself and you, and you're in such a dark place. You can't even imagine those ideas. The first step is to, even if it is going right, going to therapy five times a week and doing that stuff, just doing that. And then the goal shifts as progress is made to, to lighten and load and the goal doesn't yeah. have to be that i never go to therapy and that i can never do i can never ask for help the goal is to teach yourself the tools and understandings to help yourself and knowing what you need and yeah. when you need it and how much you need it and working it and having i believe i really do strongly believe this having an ownership and an understanding of your treatment and what's going on is so it gives yourself a lot yeah it's, it's important it's, really and it's empowering important. it gives you a sense of control i was i was literally about to say that it's so empowering Cause you feel really out of control and like one thing that I just like think is so awesome and under understated is in, uh, in my 12 step program, acceptance is the first step in any 12 step program. And it is truly the first step in life. Um, it will bring you so much freedom, you know, because you can't really go anywhere if you don't accept the reality of your situation and you can't properly examine the steps that need to be taken from there forth so what is true acceptance to you at um, least to you what do you think it is i mean in my and in, in, in my experience it's looking at what scares you the most in the situation and facing it like truly looking it in the eyes like a monster and you're just like staring it down and looking at it with detail you know um and and then also feeling your feelings 
like that's another and this is all like also shadow work I mean the things that are the most painful really are the things that you should be looking at um because they're not going to go away unless you unless you start doing that so acceptance is is bucking up and like looking at at the most painful right it's it's it wow that's a really good answer it's 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 like it's not only right it's it's past acknowledgement it's acknowledging that there's something there and then saying whatever it is and it's being vulnerable enough accepting accepting Mm -hmm. the vulnerability is going to be needed and just to live in it and then i guess the final step of acceptance is combat is it combating it i mean and honestly i don't even want to say like you don't want to be in combat because that is resistant energy force you don't want to swim upstream with this um you want to let it wash over you and take you and it's really emotional that way because when you are combating it it's like it's like that brute force where you're just like i'm going to fight this to the end it's like no that is what the acceptance is is you're letting the tragedy and you're letting the pain and the fear wash over you because the combat is like blockage and like that's how I see it in my mind um so from there forth you let the trauma wash over you and you let it carry you down like a river and like you hit rocks down the river and you get bruised and there's lots of tears involved (laughs) um but then you get get to a point where you can grab onto a tree branch and pull yourself out and and when you weren't fighting the the stream, you you came out a little bit more, like a little bit less unscathed. So it's like letting yourself get to the point where you have an opportunity to um, pull yourself out. But until you get to that place, and you know you can't force it, um, it's just gonna it's just gonna probably prolong the process. Um, hmm. That's a, that's a very that's very well put. I definitely just, changed my my understanding for sure that's a really eloquently put thought <laughs> that's good that's real thank you obviously you're good but that yeah no, that's good um so you go you're an outpatient you're doing this you're doing the treatments you're starting to make progress and then and then and then what happens next where are we now well and then quarantine hit so you know I, I don't want to regret any decisions, but um, I definitely could have stuck out being sober and doing the whole thing longer, but I hit quarantine and um, my therapy ceased. Not completely, but for the most part. And then this is like full lockdown. And then I was drinking over quarantine and um, probably overdoing it. I think what can happen is you go to one extreme and then you just can go to the other one. And that's kind of my personality. I like, I'm a lot more mild tempered now, but I have the tendency to be an extremist. And I um, literally, like, I think so many people who don't have any addiction drinking problems, and I don't even know where I stand on that I mean today I like drink either one day or two days a week on the weekends I mean that's been recently it depends like if I'm on vacation or something right. I like 
do more but um but yeah I think a lot of people during lockdown drank more and ate more than they would have people are so bored they're like well I guess I have no responsibilities right now I have and that's the lack of structure you know we go into lockdown and we have no structure we have uh no responsibilities and good for the people who like kept their eye on whatever their aim is and like despite lockdown and quarantine they maintain some level of structure but that wasn't me so um but then when we are able to you know go back out into the world and to an extent and I I got it back down on lock but um, that must have been ter- that must have been terrifying for you to I, to work the 12 step program and then to start drinking again you I don't know if it was terrifying though because like I saw it for what it was I was like recognized it was locked down and I also just don't want to be hard on myself like I do but I don't you know to a healthy extent I want to hold myself to high standards and like at a certain point when you're acting like that you gotta you know accept what is actually happening and like how you're actually acting and then just be like okay this is you got to like constantly be reevaluating your situation. Um, and so I had to reevaluate and get it back under control. But I wasn't scared because, you know, like, like being sober. Um, and I was sober for like almost seven months. Um, I, well, I was clean, technically. My program was N.A., um, because I just really liked the people in that program. Um, and it's a spiritual, non-religious program, uh, opposed to like AA. And um, and my spirit, I got really spiritually connected to them. I felt really capable after being able to like do the work I did. And now today, like when I always remind myself of like when I don't want to get an assignment done or I don't want to finish a really hard workout, I just like go back to how difficult it was when I was, you know, in that routine and going to so much therapy and, and doing my 12, 12 step program and working the steps, I was like, that was difficult. That was truly difficult. And so now I'm like, Oh, I can do this. This is easy. This is fine. I just like push through and I have like this mental energy that I never knew I could possibly have within me. So when I needed to get it back under control, I was like, well, I did that. So I could definitely do this. And I also remembered how good it felt to be sober and how sharp I felt and, um, you know, in tune, like everything, it was like life was in vivid detail again. So I, since I knew how good it was going to feel to like get myself back under control, that was a big motivation. Wow. I have a lot of thoughts and a couple of questions, if that's okay. Okay. It sounds like yeah. your healing process and your at least identity with with being healthy. You didn't pin all your, you didn't pin everything on like your sobriety. I guess like your healing. I could I could understand people who right become clean right. They go through the program. They work the twelve. They work the steps, and then their identity is with their mm-hmm. sobriety. Right. Everything when you hear it talk about yeah. it's all about the sobriety, all about it, and I don't know. I, I, I definitely did at the but beginning what too. Ha- what I assume happens, and what I think, what I do think happens, is when you pin everything onto your sobriety, and then you break your sobriety, it all the house of cards that you just built come crashing down. 
Oh, absolutely. You didn't have that. Absolutely. In a sense, because it wasn't all about the sobriety. It was about more. Yeah, no. And that's actually just a really good skill for life. You don't want to be a single faceted person. So because when the the cards fall on one thing, then your world is crushed. So you want to have, you know, you want a table with multiple legs. Um, And I... I don't, I don't know if I consciously did this, but, um, and it was, it was part of the whole program that like my family and I, and, and my counselors all worked to put together, but, you know, I was going to Pilates almost every day and like spin class and, and, um, I grew up with a, a workout studio and those women are like my moms. And, and so they are also really, really supportive. So I had all these areas where like, when one thing, when I would feel like one thing was like, um, week I would be able to build myself up with other things and then get myself back to the place where I can build up the thing that I feel like is weak so that's just like such a good skill for life you know you don't want to put all of your worth into your looks if you're a really beautiful person because at a certain point like you know what if you get really bad acne all of a sudden and then you know you're like feel like you have no self-worth because that was like the one thing that you had so I'm like a huge believer in keeping your mentals or your you got to have your mental strength and you want to look good I mean that feels good um you you want to keep yourself educated um whether you're in school or not um build up your relationships keep them healthy so there's all these things that you have to do so like you said if you pull one card out it doesn't all crumble no I think I think your understanding of it is so profound it's inspiring it's it's just unbelievable at such a young to go through what you've gone through at such a young age and i don't mean to younger you i'm only 26 i'm but no but but to go through all this i agree with you you know at 21 you're just starting you know a lot of ways a lot of people think a lot of people think that's just fully life and you know your 20s and i think all those people that that they say that is overrated is because you can what you go through up to that matters and it happens to you, but it doesn't have to control and, and destroy and, and, and force you to live a certain life. You, there is ownership you can take and, yeah. and steps you can do and you're clearly living proof of it. Yeah. And you know, like, and again, like I'm just going to attribute it to like the people in my life, but I come from such a cool family. Like, and wow, I, I would not be here without them because like on um, my dad's side of the family like everyone's doctors so like that that's like a very clinical side but and I believe in balance if you can try to strike balance in every area of your life you are going to be in highest alignment with yourself and your higher self then my mom's very holistic and she's and and then both of my parents are very athletic and into fitness and they both eat really healthy and stuff so I was seeing like my naturopath as well as uh, my psychiatrist. So I, I was on meds, but I was also on a regimen of uh, vitamins for my brain. Um, so like there's, it was that combination and having the holistic mindset in conjunction um, and recognizing that medication isn't all bad because sometimes it's, it's necessary, you know, like, so I think that combination, and I would recommend because it worked very well for me, is to to try to 
try to find that combination because you don't want to go into one extreme or the other ever. Like it's not sustainable. Um, finding that finding that balance for you. I mean, listen. So yeah. Based off this conversation, it's no doubt that your parents um, clearly are seem to be incredible people and have done have done their best to do right yeah. by right by you. And also, without acknowledging your friend group I and mean, the way you speak about your friends and the love oh, and the love yeah. that you clearly have for them is unbelievable as well. And the love and support that they've shown you. I mean, as somebody who loves his friend, like I love my friends more than anything in the world, and I think everybody just wants to create those relationships. Mm-hmm. But I think the important part is. You don't just get yeah. friends like that by accident. It's No, no. And like loyalty and authenticity, unconditional love. It's, it's the foundation. And I think we are all raised, right? We were raised in a beautiful, supportive community um, with really cool parents. Um, so that has a lot to do with our innate sense of those core values. Um, and so I, I lucked out on that front. Like I didn't really deal with much drama growing up. Um, it was, uh, there's so much love. It's pretty awesome. Like, I don't know how other people's experience is with their hometown friends, but like, they are my soul tribe. And so... (laughs) We're almost caught up to where we are now. You know, quarantine hits, these things hit. What are you up to now? What's how's your mental state and how's life? Um, God, life is so good. I'm like just so grateful for every day. It's like so awesome when you wake up and you're like excited for a new day, even if it's like a grind, even if you know it's like okay, well, I'm I don't necessarily have anything like fun and social to do today, but you know, um you're working towards something every single day that is like so exciting i'm like every day i'm one step closer to my goals and my dreams and i'm never going to give up on them and I, every day i'm going to do the work for myself um and you know and i owe it to all the people that helped me to do continue to do the work and to be successful in my life because it was hard on everyone it was so hard on everyone Um, my mental health taxed my friends and it taxed my family it it taxed my therapist I'm sure Um, so now I I go to Parsons in New York and uh, I've been home Um, I I wish I was in New York a little bit but also I live in such a beautiful place and if anyone knows where Steamboat is um, it's really beautiful it's like a ski town with like rural ranch land all sprawling throughout and um beautiful clean air quality and like you can see stars at night (laughs) um skiing I go skiing and hiking and like almost every day like it's awesome so like despite being online like I, I definitely prefer to be in person but I've formed really great relationships um with my professors and made plenty of friends over zoom which is remarkable so i'm really grateful it the pandemic is like a huge bummer for everyone but i'm just grateful to be getting an education that is of such high quality um i enjoy learning so much i think uh, the program i'm in is 
awesome and a, a great fit for me. And I, I'm actually going to Paris in the fall for like the full of next year. Um, one of my good friends who I actually met on Zoom, which is like so funny. She is like a soul sister for sure. Um, it, it, it's just like one of those things like she was someone that um, I'm, I'm meant to be with in my life. So she's in Paris. That's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. I have so much to look forward to. Um, I have a lot of goals, uh, long-term goals, and, and I know the steps that I need to take to achieve them. And, and a large part of that is your routine because like I'm doing the things I need to do to achieve my career goals, um, you know, but then also that wouldn't be successful if I didn't maintain my healthy routine. I eat really healthy, like I hardly ever eat any processed food, but I do love to eat out. I eat a lot out a lot. Um, Cause I also like love to travel. So when I travel, I eat out every single meal and I like seek out the best restaurants wherever I'm traveling. Um, and it's like one of my biggest joys in life. So I do that. But I'm, when I'm home and in my routine, I eat really healthy. Um, I love Pilates. Um, I love to hike. I grew up ski racing um so skiing is like one of my favorite activities and, and you're sure you want to come uh, back to new- you're sure you want to come to new york because I, I live in new york right now and i will i know that you right here right now you can take my you can you can take I my know. apartment I'll, I'll i'll swap with you right here right now i know i'm like that's the one thing about like when i lived in la and honestly new york has like such better energy at least for me and like my opinion um I, I, I vibe with New York energy so much more and I love the vivaciousness and the, like having a social life and so much culture and art and fashion and all that cool stuff like I'm obsessed with um, but the lack of nature when I was in LA I was like so sad I was like I didn't like realize how much having good air and nature was like yeah, I mean, crucial listen, clean air yeah, I mean, listen, uh, New York's known for all those things. Clean air, nature, we got, we got skiing, we got it all. Yeah. We do all those things in New York City. Um, got it all. We don't have, like, the, the culture and the fashion and art and all that stuff here, though. So I like to be um, intellectually simulated and visually simulated and at least, you know, like, with art and stuff. Um so now. I'm missing that in my life right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, listen, Paris after everything so you've been through and listing all your, like, saying, hearing you talk about your goals and how you're going to – I'm not a betting person, but if I was, I'd be betting on you. I think you're going to – I'm betting on you. And, Hell yeah. And I know you are. I'm betting on are. me and too. I want to give you the platform now. If there's anything we haven't talked about or anything you want to share, perspective, reflection, anything, the floor is yours. One thing I think that is really important that I would like to speak on, um, because I did touch on how I'm a spiritual person, and it's, like, a big part of um, who I am. I, like, okay, I love astrology. I've gone into tarot and stuff, but, like, that that's just, like, some fun things for me. It's, like, what spirituality truly is to me. And, like, I grew up Catholic. Um, and, like, I think there's a good foundation growing up um, having any sense whatever wh- whatever religion that you grow up in I do think it is important to have that um, that that connection with something is that is larger than yourself because a huge 
thing for me was I reflect when I was younger not having that connection thinking that the whole world revolves around you like there's this really like egocentric um, aspect that I think attributes to a lot of mental health issues Um, getting too caught up in your world because when you think about it people are so focused on themselves how they look to other people how they're feeling all this stuff and their experience is really really internal and you know so people aren't even thinking so much about you um and then when you do that that's just like you hyper focus on yourself things that really are so minute don't matter um so when you can connect when I'm in that guilt and shame or fear, which is some of the lowest energy vibration, you like I just close my eyes. I, you know, roll my shoulders back, take a deep breath, you know, turn up my chin. You know, I imagine this like beam of light going upwards to, to source, to God, to my higher self, higher power you know, and then just try realigning, you know, like pulling up, like through all my energy centers, you know, and this is what I believe and not everyone identifies with this, not to any extent. Um, But for me, that's what works. And then, you know, taking time to yourself to really feel your feelings at night, I like to um, listen to guided meditations. um, And I have a manifestation journal. You know, I write about what I'm going to achieve. Absolutely. It's happening. Like, I will not stop. And um, and I, like, write about how healthy I am and how loved I am and how much I can love and um, how much good I have to give, how much I have to contribute. And you have to truly believe it because... Um, it's so important to be in that high vibration and everyone's capable of it. Um, You just really got to like get connected. It is seriously the foundation of all of me because part of who you are is your physical manifestation into a body, but then you also have consciousness. No one can explain that. That's, (laughs) insane right um that's beyond (laughs) to say the least so you got you have that and then you have this miraculous brain that conceptualizes so much and also so little um but it's like and then you have like your whole energy field you've got to keep that healthy so there's um my spirituality is is so core to who i am and you know spirituality isn't sunshine and rainbows uh to any extent i mean there is a lot of that because you do have to stay positive and not get into self-doubt pity victimhood that is like lowest frequency bad place to be dark hole um dangerous territory to me fear is dangerous dangerous territory um that is not a place i want to be because I have spent a lot of time there and I know how grim it is. So to just really try my best. But if I do have that fear, I'm like, okay, fear, what are you up to? Look at it in the eyes and 
see what it's really about like why and then it's it usually comes down to ego but like is this fear rational fear is it something that I should be fearing if it's something I should be fearing okay um let's realign our energy strengthen our energy field let's protect ourselves from this like dark energy things are to be feared I mean it's not like sometimes it's like completely made up and sometimes it's our body's response to something that is dangerous so like paying attention to that I'm like really connected with my intuition and that's something I practice every day like constantly navigating every small decision I'm making I like to tap into that and just strengthen that like down to like the food I decide to eat that day if I'm having a craving I'm like tap into my intuition like is it something I actually want to eat or like maybe I do want to indulge in this or you know like your your higher power will guide you if you just like let go of that um need to control and like ego loves to step in everywhere so trying to like detach from that and then tap back into who you truly are it's so hard to maintain balance though so it's like everyone needs to be easy on themselves because I like have bad days and I can get really negative too so but but you know I think spiritual practice finding whatever it is like if you are religious and you identify with um specific religious practice go for it because you know god is love love is god it's like not specific to one thing and it can be but it's not universally so if you believe in many gods like sure it's all meaningful to find that meaning and to find that purpose to find what makes you feel loved and what drives you to love that is what's important so to just figure it out I encourage everyone to do just start researching if they don't feel super spiritually connected start researching what they identify with and and what feels good to them and what resonates because that's really all that's important and it is it brings a lot of incredible um I don't know much about about you know the energies and stuff like that but in my own way I I mean in the sense of where I don't (laughs) <laughs> describe it or think of it the similar way but i do think we all have our own beliefs and when and if you break yeah. it down you can definitely define it and, and think about it in those ways and i think that that's all healthy and, and good and the way mm-hmm. you know the way you work on yourself and the way you talk about it and doing all the work right just linking back to the doing the therapy doing the doing all that stuff and this is just another aspect yeah. of you doing more work and and working and, and and taking the care and the time and the effort and putting the effort needed to live a healthy, balanced life. And um, like I said earlier, uh, I'm very confident. <laughs> if, if I was a betting man, I'd bet on you. And in a lot of ways, I want to be, I know I'm a little bit older, but I kind of want to be you when I grow up. No, <laughs> oh, that's so, so sweet. I appreciate that. Yeah. But like, you know, I encourage everyone, everyone owes it to themselves. Everyone is so beautiful. Everyone has something to bring to this world. and if everyone could focus on bringing the good that they have to give to this world we could you know solve many many problems like instead of trying to tackle these huge um systematic things like that is so hard and like there can be and maybe that is your purpose to like work on one one area of that but I think everyone finding their like their aim and their purpose if everyone could do that think about like 
how that would accumulate, how much positivity that would bring, you know, and everyone just deciding like, oh, yeah, I owe it to myself because I have so much to give. And I'm like so valuable and such a great asset to this world. Um, I love everyone has so much to give. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to Christina Steinberg for coming onto the podcast and being so open, honest, and vulnerable with us. I highly recommend everyone check her out on her Instagram at Christina Stein with two N's. I'll put a link in the description in the show notes below. If anybody out there is interested in coming onto the podcast, please reach out at don'tworryaboutitpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us and DM me on, on my Instagram at don'tworryaboutitpodcast or the Facebook page by the same name. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and I'll see you next week.